0: Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. To be together, we continue in our series on an excellent church. And uh, this week, we take a look at uh, the first of those characteristics of that excellent church. And and last week, uh, if you weren't here, uh, it it was about uh, that first church that was alive. It was alive. Uh, And uh, the whole picture uh, of that church was that it was beautiful and uh, alive and beautiful, uh, like a good-looking bride. Uh, She was awake, uh, she was stunning, uh, and she was uh, filled with expectation. So this week, uh, I want to take a look at Acts 2, verse 42, uh, where it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer that dedicated church uh, that they gathered together is a little bit different to the church today Uh, in the sense that we live in a day and age where churches are less accepted today. Years ago, there were certain portions of land that were dedicated for worship. The government would allocate certain portions of land for worship. Uh, that's not taking place uh, as much anymore. And so if you do want to uh, have a church, uh, people would say, just not in my neighborhood. If you could kind of do it further somewhere else in the outskirts, that would be really good, because you know what, you're going to affect my privacy, you're going to uh, disturb the the way I do things. Uh, And so the church has kind of lost its credibility. Years ago, When the church spoke, the government and people listened. And that's not the case anymore. Uh, That's certainly true around the world. And there are a number of ways we can, uh, you know, uh, argue about that. There are a number of ways we can uh, demerit uh, on the merits of of a changing society and the effects it has on us. Uh, But this morning, I want to have a look at The church rather than society. The church rather than society. And so I think it's fair to say that that there are some churches that it's like a little gathering uh, and it's not different from anything else around. And so uh, for some it's like a club uh, because we don't find the, the very presence of God there. It reminds me of a story. A little boy said Jesus wasn't there. And the story goes like this, that this little boy was taken to a new Sunday school class by his parents. And his mother told him, they will play some games, sing songs, and then you'll be introduced to Jesus. When he came home, his father asked how he got along in the Sunday school. And his son said, we played games, we sang songs, but Jesus wasn't there. And that's true uh, in some churches today. And let me categorically say that that's certainly not the intention of our church, and that's not what I'm hinting about. But there are churches where, uh, you know, if God were to look down the way he looked down on the nation of Israel, and he said, Israel, I want you to be different. You are Israel, my people. I'm going to put you on the Mount of Zion, and I want you to be different. When I look from heaven, metaphorically, I see that you're different from the nations around but Israel, when I look, you are no different to the nations around you. You are exactly the same. And so that concept there. And, and I think uh, it's dangerous because, uh, you know, we can blend into something that we're not. In that next slide, you'll see that, that des- design is for a boat to be in the water. That's what it's designed to be, boat in the water. It's disaster when the water is in the boat. And so we must be very, very careful because it doesn't take too long before we can become like those around us. And so if you look at the first century church, um, they, they, they stood up for what they believed. Uh, and I'm not saying let's welcome persecution, but we need to stand up for what we believe. Why? Because we are the church. And we are to stand up for what is right and stand up for righteousness according to what the scriptures say. And so the early church was not very welcoming and and for the right reasons. They weren't famous in the community for the right reasons. And we need to stand up for what is right in our community. In fact, Jesus said it this way. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. He warned us that, that you know, be careful because you, you, you might become like the people around you and there won't be a difference. And what Jesus was saying, we need to stand for the right things. We need to make sure that we stand up for righteousness. And so, I want to try and have a look at what made this church stand different. From its culture, what were some of the characteristics that allowed the church to be different? Well, we know that it started off on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured down on 120 people in the upper room, and then thousands came to to know who Jesus Christ was. Um, And the way uh, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, their lives were changed. Not only their destiny for eternity. But their lives began to change immediately. Something happened within. They were regenerated. They were born from above. They had changed. And as they changed, so uh, God was in their midst. There were a whole lot of people, um, uh, church historians tell us, probably about 200,000 people from different villages all around who would come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. And so they were normal people, uh, they weren't uh, jobless or homeless, um, they, they were people who came to observe the feast of the Passover, and so as they come to, to enjoy it, they uh, have this interaction, and they have this experience, and their lives are changed forever, and that's kind of uh, the first important point that we need to realize that, that when we begin to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are born from above. We're born again, according to John 3.3. We are born from above. Before we were X, outside the kingdom of God, we are now in the kingdom of God. And something changes within. And we begin to focus on this new person in our lives. His name is Jesus Christ. Christ. And so, before those same people that came to celebrate had jobs, uh, they had social relationships, they they, uh, had a, a myriad of different things that they were committed to, they came to celebrate. But after that interaction, they still had all those things, but their behavior began to change. There's a certain maxim that says, people do what they want to do. And so basically, Uh, I will do whatever I want to do, and if my priorities and my heart changes, I'll begin to do that. So Acts 2, verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. The New American Standard Version says it this way, They continually devoted themselves. That Greek word there, uh, means th- th- they were earnest toward what they'd committed themselves to. There was something that changed within, and they were earnest toward it. They persevered. They, they were constantly diligent. In other words, there was discipline. They were constantly diligent. They attended. They adhered, is what that word says. It, it, they continued. In fact, they waited on that because it was so important. Their hearts had Changed. You see, a changed life means changed behavior. Why? Because a changed life means changed priorities. These people were not outcasts or losers and they ran to Jesus. No. Their heart had changed, and because their heart had changed, so their behavior and their commitment had changed. And so, a couple of points uh, we need to ask ourselves. Uh, What is it that we are devoted to? Well, what were they devoted to? Well, firstly, uh, and I'm going to use four T's here, the truth, the truth to the apostles' teaching. You see, they knew about God because the Old Testament scriptures uh, were there. They knew about it. They'd heard about it. There were a lot of Jewish people who'd memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. And so as they uh, knew about God, This change of heart and change of mind through the hearing of the scriptures, uh, hearing of the preaching, and seeing, some of them seeing the life of Jesus, changed their lives, but they wanted something more. Bible says they continued to gather together and listen to the apostles' teaching. In other words, they moved from knowledge to intimate knowledge. From gnosis to epignosis. Gnosis, kind of where we get the English word gnostic. They moved from a place of knowing about to a place of knowing intimately. And that came through uh, the reading and the teaching through Bible study. Through Bible study. Uh, folk, uh, we've got Alpha on on a Monday night now. When Alpha ends next month, I will start a Bible study. And I'm going to remind you and encourage you to come to that Bible study so we can get to know what the Bible says, so we can grow in the things of God. You see, the early church committed themselves. Despite their busyness, their social relationships, there was a change of heart. They were regenerated. And because of that change of heart, they committed themselves to wanting to know their Savior better. Now, the sad part we can say in general, and I think it's generally true, is that there is a lack of biblical knowledge and biblical understanding in the world today. That's true in the church. And so if that's true, it's hard to debate and to discuss and to stand on the righteousness that we read in the Bible. Because we don't know about it. But when we know what it says, we're able to equip ourselves well. Uh, issues about abortion and homosexuality and, and poverty and homelessness and, and racial prejudice and, and premarital sex and postmarital sex and, and extramarital sex and, and even the church. What is the church? And so they devoted themselves, they committed themselves on getting to know what the Bible says. The truth. I'm told that the private investigators in America, they are known, uh, they they are trained to pick up what a genuine note looks like. And not all false notes, what the false notes look like, because they'll be around all the time. But as they know what the genuine money looks like, they're able to pick up the fake. They're able to pick up the fake. If we know what the genuine truth looks like, will be able to pick up the error. Not let's go and study all the errors. No. There have been errors around many years and there will be even more in the future. But when we know the truth, we know that outside that truth, that is error. So those Christians got together. In fact, we should be known to be people like the Bereans who, who the Bible says that they examined the Scriptures every day To see if what Paul said was true. Why? Because they knew what the truth was. They were able to pick up the error. What did they devote themselves to? To the apostles' teaching. Secondly, to fellowship. Togetherness. Being united together. Interesting how many people don't think that the church is important. And gathering together. Well, they felt that it was important, and that word, uh, fellowship, is—it's a uniquely Christian word. It's the word kinonia, koinonia, if you like, kinonia, which means togetherness. There was this partnership. It means joint participation. It means communion. It means intimacy. Why? Because when you're connected vertically to God, you're connected to those who are also connected vertically to God. And and I think the sign of the cross is such a beautiful metaphor for that. That vertical relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ and that horizontal relationship with one another. And so he fills us to overflow onto one another. You cannot have the togetherness and the kinonia. And the fellowship, if you're not connected to God. A little while I heard of a men's fishing trip a couple of years ago, that they all went away for fellowship. They all got blotted, caught no fish, and they called that fellowship. That's not fellowship. That's a drunken men's fishing weekend. Fellowship is... Men and women getting together around the word of God. They devoted themselves to that fellowship. But the important thing was they were connected to Christ first. And, and no wonder the author to the Hebrews writes in Hebrews 10, 25, Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And folks, that word forsake... Um, or not give up meeting together, kind of, a, it's an interesting word in the, in the Greek because it's kind of got to do with don't, you know, if this place is not really for you, don't kind of abandon it because you feel sorry. No, go and make it better. There were a lot of Christians, early Christians, that would run away because they'd go, oh, that's not really for me, or you know what, uh, I, th- there's persecution coming, I'm going to go uh, run into the hills and do it on my own. Well, no, that's not the case, the author to Hebrews says. Actually, you need one another so you can encourage one another. That Greek word encourage, parakaleo, come alongside one another and breathe fresh heart into one another. Am I passionate about this? Absolutely. There are some people who kind of go, this is not for me, and so I'll just go somewhere else. Well, friends, that you're not going to be happy there either, with all due respect. This is where we can make a difference among one another. This is where God has placed us right now. And so we need to be committed, devoted to this. The church, it's interesting, because in our social networks, we normally mingle with people that are similar to us, you know. um, People who have kids at similar ages as us. Uh, People who may, you know, have no kids. Uh, People who are of a similar age group, similar interests, similar sports. And so we, we gather together. The church is the only place where we can gather together where the only Not the only, but the most common thing is Jesus Christ. Despite our shapes and sizes (laughs) and uh, looks and number of children and and social backgrounds, the church is where we unite together. And there needs to be that togetherness because we're on a journey together. There is that beautiful unity in diversity because we're different. But you know what? When we get to know one another... And we get to like one another, and that's scary. I don't want to get to know you in case I like you. That means I need to kind of commit myself to you. That's the greatest thing in the world. As we serve, the world says, wow, these guys are different. They're different. Why? They're so uh, diverse, yet they give glory to God. They get on so well. Why? Because there's that joint participation. There's that togetherness. Why? We are different. Why? Because we're connected to Jesus Christ. He gets the glory. Fellowship. They committed themselves to fellowship. I know it's cold. I know it's winter. But let's let's come together because it's not come to see what I can get. No. Come with the attitude, let me see who God brings across my path this Sunday morning. And I can bless somebody. And you open your heart to that. And God blesses you because your intention is to give. And as your intention is to give, you actually receive. You know, because it's better to give than to receive, the Bible says. So when you come with the right attitude, there's that togetherness, that fellowship, and this joint participation. Don't neglect the gathering of the people. And the coffee's good, by the way. Thirdly, I use this beautiful... Australian word that I learned 14 years ago, tucker. <laughs> tucker. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Now, there's two different um, understandings of that, and, and it's not totally clear, uh, but they got together for a meal, that could be the one interpretation, and as they got together for that meal, within that meal there was the, the sacrament of the breaking of bread, remembering who Jesus Christ was and and what he did on the cross for us. But I think you can actually have both. We're having soup a couple of weeks' time. You can actually have both. Today we will have the sacrament together. Communion. And it means something so special. To those who believe in Jesus Christ. If you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then what, what is it kind of little bread? Are these people selfish? A little wafer and a little bit of juice. Is that all they can afford? No. It means something extremely special to those who know the Lord Jesus Christ. And those people did not sacrif- or did not neglect gathering together for the sake of having a meal together. You see, uh, you couldn't separate the fellowship and having th- that time together. Folk, listen to this, because it could change the way you do things at home. Eating together as a family. We become who we are in the environment of the home. We're shaped by families. Home is Formative. Sociologist Cody DeLustratry explored most recent scientific literature for Atlantic Monthly and discovered that the single most important element, element in raising kids who are drug-free, healthy, intelligent, kind human beings is frequent family dinners. This is not 1812 statistics. This is 2018 statistics. Frequent family dinners. The most important predictor of success for elementary age children is frequent family dinners. The primary factor is shaping vocabulary for younger children is requ- frequent family dinners. The key variable most associated with a lower incidence of depressive and suicidal thoughts among 11 to 18 year olds is frequent family dinners. There is something quasi-sacramental about the table. Any table... Where an environment of home is created. Sacrament is a physical thing in which God or something of God is seen and is present. Without question, some of the most sacred moments of my life, uh, he says, have been experienced sitting at the dinner table with my wife and kids. Of lesser importance but still extremely significant, I've had many experiences sitting at the table with members of my team where something of God and eternity has broken into our bread breaking. I've seen conference tables in hospitable environments become the Lord's table, a means of grace. And he ends off by saying, as N.T. Wright wrote, when Jesus himself wanted to explain to his disciples what his forthcoming death was all about, he didn't give them a theory, he gave them a meal. Clearly, I'm quite spiritual. (laughs) Listen, there is something extremely special and intimate when we eat and celebrate together. Now, I know that it's quite a reverent moment when we celebrate in communion. But when they celebrated and they remembered who Jesus Christ was, it was reverent but also joyful. Why? Because God was present. God was present. And so don't neglect the gathering of our time together. It's a special time where we can get to know one another a little bit better. And we can do things together. There was truth through the apostles' teaching. There was togetherness through fellowship. There was time of intimacy through a meal together. And then fourthly and finally, There was prayer, thanksgiving. They said that they could not leave their homes in the morning without praying because they might not come back in case of persecution. But they understood that they were grateful to God for what He had done for them, they were grateful to God for saving their souls. When they got together, there was praise, there was thanksgiving, because God was in their midst. And they gave themselves to a life of prayer. Now, folk, an excellent church is a praying church. An excellent family is a praying family. An excellent Christian is a praying Christian. I'm not talking about these little bullet prayers that we shoot up to God you know, during the day. That goes without saying, because we have a relationship with Him. But I'm talking about getting together and committing ourselves, ourselves to prayer. Personal prayer and corporate prayer. Committing ourselves to that. James chapter 5 Verse 16 says, The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It's powerful and effective. In Acts chapter 47, you read Peter and John when they went out and they they were uh, questioned by the Sanhedrin. When they came back, the first thing they did was to pray. Peter, when he was put in prison, when he was let out, the first thing he did with the people was to pray. And so prayer was a priority, and it should be a priority for you and for me. Folks, I, I love to share my problems by telling other people, and they go, "Thank you, you placed a burden on me," and they respond in a certain way, sometimes very comforting. But what about if I took my problems to God? He would respond. And some of the things that I go through and you go through can only be fixed by God. They, only, they are God, part of God's prerogative. Why would I want to tell you something if only God can fix it? Or maybe so we can pray together or something. But why go to somebody else where only God can fix what we're going through? There was prayer, it was part of their lives. Why? Because there was a spiritual battle taking place. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 5, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight, Are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Why? Because there's a spiritual battle taking place. In fact, he wrote uh, to the church in Ephesus. And he said, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There's a spiritual war going on. And can often tear us apart. And unless we come to God in prayer and put Him into the situation... Some people say, well, I don't need to pray. God knows the situation. Well, God does know the situation, but it's our commitment to put him into the situation. And when we actively do that through prayer, so we we, we say, God, you come and take control of this, and you sort it out. And as we do that, God intervenes in a mighty, mighty way. End off by reading you just five lines about this little girl. In that next picture, a little girl once cried out in the night and awakened her mother. At the child's request, she was permitted to crawl in bed with her mother. What's the matter? the mother inquired. It was dark over there, said the child. Yes, replied the mother, but it's just as dark over here. I know, Mother, the little girl said, but you're here. You're here. And folk, no matter what we go through, we need to know that we know that we know that God is with us. That God is with us. And he will not abandon us, but we need to show him that we are also serious about this. And how do we do that? Well, committing ourselves to the truth, to fellowship, to celebrating good things together, and committing ourselves to, to gathering together and individually to prayer. Joe Alrich says. Christ's bride is the church. People in relationship to one another. God has designed your relationship with other Christians as the primary contest in which his nature surfaces and becomes an observable, tangible phenomenon. Not many non-believers are reading the revelation of of God's graces revealed in the Bible. Many are reading the revelation of God revealed in your life and relationships. Like it or not, Scripture calls us living epistles. Read as a book, as it were, by all humanity. We are literally Bible translators for lost people. People need to know that we are connected to Jesus. Why? Because he is in our midst. And that's how we live our lives. Not only here, but outside and even to the ends of the earth. Because God is with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. But we are better together when we gather together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to our hearts. Thank you that we can come before you, Lord, and... And pray. Thank you that we can come and, and, Lord, share with one another what you're doing in our midst. Thank you for your goodness and your love, Lord. Thank you when, when we remember what we were before we came to you, Lord. We were bad news, but you turned us into good news. And we pray that that good news might be able to be seen and read, as it were, by others that see who we are. And give you glory. Help us to do this Lord. And to do it effectively. For your honor. And for your glory. In Jesus name. Amen.